Welcome to the Speak Life Podcast. What we do at Speak Life is apply truth to reality. We know life is very difficult as it is, but it's a lot harder when you are not basing your life off of truth. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the Speak Life Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Blighty. I can't tell you how impressed I am that you've made it this far in the series. It shows that you're hungry for the truth and you desire to experience more of God in your life. We have a goal here at Speak Life. As always, our goal is to explain biblical truth and then apply it to life's realities. Today we will discuss part five of a series called How to Live the Life God Created You For. In the last podcast, we talked about the cosmic one-two punch, the most valuable currency not only in this life, but in the one to come. The cosmic one-two punch is everything. The Bible says that faith and love's value go well beyond this life and will live on forever because they are eternal. If you want to make a great investment with your time and energy and your resources here on earth, then invest in faith and love because the dividends are literally out of this world. But isn't it funny how all the tangible things, you know, the stuff here on earth, the material things, things that can consume our time and energy, the things that you can't take with you to heaven, and all the intangible things like faith and love, the things that live forever can sometimes fall through the cracks one could conclude that Satan has run a very, very effective and persuasive propaganda campaign. The Bible also teaches that faith and love, or another way to say it, is hear and obey, are the key ingredients for any success you will experience in your relationship to God. We learn that operating in faith and love is the literal doorway to seeing God do miraculous things in and around your life. It is the ultimate if you then I. We learn that operating in faith and love is the only way you can love God back and is the only way to fulfill your purpose in this life, which is to please God. And it's the only way you'll experience the life God created you for. You can see why we call this the cosmic one-two punch. The title I gave this podcast is just putting it all together. I named it this because I have some thoughts that I'd like to add to the topics we've already discussed, and I want to give you some helpful tips that I have found and used along the way in my own personal journey to please him. Let's first touch a little bit more on the influence that the devil has on this earth and maybe the influence he currently has over your mind. This is a very real thing, and you need to be aware of the battle you're in. You currently have an enemy who is very focused and who is very good at what he does. Satan found out a long time ago, Exhibit A, the Garden of Eden, that the very best way to negatively impact us, the best way to stop us in living the life God created us for, And the best way to drive a wedge between our relationship to God 
was to use a propaganda campaign of deception to shape our thoughts. It's what he does best. And as it turns out, it's pretty effective. He knows that a constant barrage of propaganda works. So listen to the two-part strategy he used on Adam and Eve and see if this sounds like a familiar tactic he has used on you. See, Satan also has a one-two punch. First, first he picks away at God's character. I'm going to repeat that. The very first thing he does is pick away at God's character. He fills our heads with lies concerning God. His deception is aimed at trying to lower our image of God. He wants to diminish his perfection. Back in the garden, he wanted to bring God down in the eyes of Adam and Eve to the point to where God could not be trusted anymore because he portrayed God as flawed. Does that sound at all familiar? Second, he starts elevating Adam and Eve in their own eyes. He wants them to see how awesome they are apart from God. He puffs them up. He tries to convince them that they are on a level that they can actually improve on what God has for them. Genesis 3, 1 through 8. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Oh, he's crafty. Very slippery. Do you see how gently he moves in with his assault? It does kind of remind you of how a snake would slither up to its prey, not overtly, but very unassuming. First, he innocently questions Eve on whether she heard God right. Does that sound familiar at all? You know, like when you feel God filling you with faith to do something, a little time passes and you start going, I don't know, did I really hear God right on that one? And you'll especially start to do this if what God is asking you to do isn't something you're really looking forward to doing. I also look at what he's doing with this question. He's bringing up the idea that it's okay to start questioning what God said to them. Like what God says is up for review or it's up for a little tweaking. Just so we're all on the same page with what's happening right here. The one who's looking to destroy them is questioning the words of the one that loves them and gave them life. By questioning what God says, he's already starting to bring God down and starting to tap into her pride and starting to elevate Eve in her own eyes. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has, says, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. See, Eve has not forgotten the instructions God had given her. No, she heard him clearly. So Satan has to up his game. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. Isn't this classic Satan? The father of lies does what he does best. He lies about God 
by saying that she will surely not die. He's indirectly or directly saying that God is the one lying to her. Talk about projection. He is now accusing God of being the liar while using a lie himself to convey that message to her. He's been using this tactic on mankind, as we can see, since the beginning of time. He uses it on us every day. And I think the reason he doesn't change it up is because it's so effective. He goes on to say in verse 5, For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the message he's using. God's holding you back. God does not have your best interest in mind. God is not so perfect. Actually, you'd be kind of naive to trust him. Take matters into your own hands. You'd be better off doing what you want to do where and when you want to do it. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she, gave, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And here comes the saddest part, verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Satan knows that this line of thinking, if Adam and Eve will adopt it, will lead to pride. And pride will inevitably lead them to not please God, but to please themselves. And Satan knows full well the devastating effect that it will have in their relationship to God. Satan knows that this line of thinking, if you adopt it, will lead you to pride. And the pride that is in you will inevitably lead you to not please God, but to please yourself. And Satan knows full well the devastating effect it's going to have in your relationship to God. The more things change, the more they stay the same. When you operate in pride, the Bible tells us that you're putting on the wrong jersey. 1 Peter 5.5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at what Proverbs 6.16 and 17 says. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Well, guess what's first on that list? Haughty eyes. The first thing on the list of the things that God hates is pride. The Bible says that pride will guarantee a downfall, Proverbs 16, 8. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. This is what it sounds like in the message translation. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall just what Satan wants. The British writer and theologian C.S. Lewis believes that pride is the root cause of all evil. He goes on to say that utmost evil is pride. 
unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are more flea bites in comparison. Catch this. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is a state of mind in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own will. Instead of depending entirely on God, as was God's design, a proud heart now looks to itself to decide which is good and evil. Maybe that's why God hates pride so much. Yes, his one-two punch is very effective. To knock God down and lift you up. Knock God down and lift you up. Knock God down in your eyes and lift you up in your own eyes. That is a message that is on a constant loop. Knock the image of God and what he has to say and think down and lift up your image and what you have to say and what you think up. Lower God and elevate you. Does that sound familiar? Maybe this is why when Jesus had some alone time with his disciples, he asked them a very interesting question. He asked them, probably lightheartedly at first, what are people saying about me? Like, who are they comparing me to? They said you are being compared to other men of God, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. Now, that might not sound like a bad thing like for us to be compared to other godly people, but let's just say that this is a huge downgrade for the Son of God to be compared to any other human being. That's why the questioning didn't stop there. I believe this is where Jesus looked right in the eyes of the disciples because the next question just got very personal. And he asked them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Know this. Jesus asks you to answer that same question. Who do you say that he is? And how you answer is going to go a long way into answering whether you are going to follow him or not. See, Jesus knew his boys needed to get this one right. He knew they needed to see him correctly. So how do you see Jesus? Because everything in this world will minimize him. However old you are, just fill in the blank. That's how many years you've been under this daily, demonic, nonstop propaganda campaign. It worked exceptionally well and quickly and effectively with Adam and Eve. And only you can answer how well that message has penetrated your thinking and influenced your thought life. Satan, from the beginning of time, has gone after how someone thinks. He goes after the mind because he knows that if he can get you to think wrong, then he'll get you to act wrong. So for you to fully embrace the idea, for you to fully embrace the thinking that your apex purpose in life is to please him in every area of your life, well, that's just going to take some time. It's going to take some time to roll this out in your everyday decisions. 
it's going to take some time to recalibrate your mind and undo the impact that the world's message has had on you. My prayer is Romans 12, 2, that this happens to you. We mentioned this in the first podcast, and I think it's a great time to just read over this verse again, picking it up in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's the first sign that you have some growing to do in this area of the mind, and I know this full well in my own life, is if you think that you know better than God, it's you who knows what's best for you in some or many areas of your life. If, in fact, you think that, then I would suggest that you have a thinking problem in that area. I know this is still true for me. Even after a full year commitment to daily think properly, I understand that I am very much a work in progress. So I've been starting my day for the past year with one clarion focus in mind. I start the day with one goal in mind. And that's to try and please God. And I would be embarrassed to admit to you how many times in the day I feel that I don't. Now, if someone wakes up every day and that isn't their focus, that's not on the forefront of their mind, then how well do you think that person is doing? The mind. It's a wonderful and powerful and scary and tumultuous place. We just mentioned how God uses it to transform us when he renews our mind. So how and what you think has to be monitored. You must pay attention to it. Like you have to be very diligent in protecting what you allow to live and thrive in there. I'll allow you into my mind for a second with this simple little example from my life that hopefully will illuminate how important our thoughts are and even how quickly they can move in and around our head. So this would be how a typical Saturday morning would go for me and how my brain thinks and operates. I'll usually wake up pretty early and before long, I start thinking of all the things that need to be done in and around the house. You know, the things that you don't have time to get to during the week. And this is where my disease takes over, because I must devise a list, whether just in my mind or on the chalkboard we have in the kitchen. See, I think before any rational adult gets their Saturday going, they must develop a plan. Yes, I'm a list guy. (laughs) I find that there's nothing more rewarding than to be able to cross something off that list to show that it's been completed. Like if I happen to do something that day that wasn't originally written on the list, I would write it on there after I completed it just so I would have the satisfaction of crossing it off. You list makers out there, you're grinning right now because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And this is not just some ordinary list, no. No, I'll come up with a list, but I will put it in sequential order of the things that need to be done because there's a genius method to this madness. 
The goal here is to get it all done in the quickest and the most efficient and productive way. No wasted time. Well, I don't even finish drafting this list before I start getting aggravated. Yeah, I'm already getting annoyed because I know I won't be able to get to some of the things I know I need to get to because I might not have the money to do them. Which, of course, irritates me. Because it reminds me of a bigger irritant in my life. That I'm not at the place I would like to be with my financial resources. Which can lead me to another thought that can bring irritation. And it's why hasn't God provided the resources to the level I think I deserve to have. Do you see the God down in me up taking place? When you become aware of all that's in play, you can see how pride can be behind every wrong thought. In the mind, things can snowball quickly. So about this time, other people in the house are starting to wake up and start to express the things they would like to accomplish that day. Not giving one thought that their agenda would clash with the perfect itinerary that I've already laid out. Just piling another heap onto the aggravation that I was already letting get the best of me. Needless to say, at this point, I have a ton of thoughts ricocheting inside my head, like a nuclear reactor. Things are just bouncing everywhere. But in reality, the only thing that really matters are, are my thoughts pleasing to the Lord. Well, I can tell you that if I were being honest, I was starting to have thoughts laced with pride. Frustration, maybe a few little envious thoughts, a touch of anger was starting to creep in. And if left unchecked, I would just plow ahead with what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, and I could have blown the day. I could have missed out on all that a loving God had for me. Sure, I might have crossed off the list of things I wanted to get to, but at what cost? Thankfully, I'm starting to operate at a much higher rate of faith these days. And thankfully, I'm much more in tune with hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. And thankfully, God has challenged me on what it looks like to please him as often as possible. So I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, Mark, all that matters this Saturday is that I please him. It's all that matters. Talk about a reality check. Talk about putting everything in perspective. Faith is such a gift. So now I'm praying, God, I want to please you. God, how would you have this day go? And at this point, I have a choice to lay down my agenda and pick up God's or swap wishes. I can allow the wrong thoughts to stay in my mind and keep me in knots all day, or I can replace them with scripture. Instead of leading my Saturday the way I want it to go, I start quoting scriptures, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. How about Psalm 143.8? I love this verse, probably quote it once a day. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you, 
show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. After meditating on scripture and after praying to God or swapping out my wishes for his, I walk away with this mindset and goal. God, if I only get to two of the things that are on my list to do, but I please you all along the way, it doesn't get any better. It just doesn't get any better. Not only do I win, but the people around me win. Now that I just let you in on some of the things and thoughts that I wrestle with, what about you? What are the things and thoughts you wrestle with? Thoughts of fear, anger, frustration, envy, lust, worry, bitterness, hopelessness, pride. None of these thoughts would be pleasing to God. And oh, by the way, none of these thoughts are going to help you in any way. So I have to challenge you to take stock in the thoughts that you allow to run through your mind. And these can be really hard to identify as being bad or displeasing to God because they've been a part of you for so long, they've become like old friends very familiar and very comfortable. You think to yourself, well, I've always thought this way. But again, I would challenge you to run every thought through this filter. Ask yourself this question. Are the thoughts I'm thinking, are they pleasing to the Lord? At first, you might even resent the fact that God is asking you to do this. Almost taking the stand that your thought life is off limits to God. This exercise can be very uncomfortable at first because you've traveled this thought path, I don't know, maybe a million times before, that it's become so second nature for you to think this way. If you stay disciplined, you'll experience many aha moments realizing that so much of what you think about and ponder between your ears, it's not what's best for you and it's not pleasing to God. Look at what King David says about God's attention to detail in our thoughts in Psalm 139, 1 and 2. It says, You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me, and you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Again, you have to be militant to protect your thoughts. Here's what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And look at the blessings that come to you. Another if you then I, Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Make no mistake, we all have the choice to please God with our thoughts. And look how empowering it is to lay down the thoughts you want to mull over and over in your head and pick up the thoughts that God wants you to ponder, not to only meditate on, but to operate in. 
Let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit more about hearing from God and how do we become more successful at it. Just know this. First, you have to make it your top priority. We mentioned this earlier in the series, that to hear the voice of Jesus, to hear the faith God wants to impart to you, has as much to do with you wanting to hear it as anything else. It's the idea that it's something you value and desire. And you know as well as I do that whatever is important to you, you're just going to make time for it. There's a great story in the Bible where we see this played out. It's the time Jesus and the disciples get invited over to Mary and Martha's house. Luke 10, 38-42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, catch this now, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? (laughs) Can you hear her tone? Can you feel it? See how it lowers Jesus? That my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Do you see how Martha raises her importance? Me, me, me. Then she goes on to say, tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed. He goes on to say, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Mary made a choice and Martha made a choice. He ends it by saying, and it will not be taken away from her. Boy, if that doesn't sound like me in my Saturday morning story. To use a sports analogy here, if you're someone who's into lifting weights, and I don't care who you are, you're going to find that you have certain body parts or muscles that are just going to be stronger than other muscles and body parts. For me, anything that had to do with my lower body just came easy. My weak spot were my shoulders. And because of that, I never looked forward to the days when I had to work my shoulders. So I decided that this problem wasn't going to go away anytime soon. So I intentionally worked out my shoulders harder than any other body part. And guess what happened over time? I started seeing results. And my shoulders caught up to the rest of my body. And it went from being one of my least favorite workouts to one of the workouts I looked forward to. It's the same thing with hearing God or being filled with faith. It has to be worked on. It has to be developed. It starts by etching out time in a busy schedule to spend time with him. You learn to pray as often as possible and you listen for what he has to say. It starts to become your favorite moments of the day This act of communicating with God becomes precious to you. It's the thing you seek to hear most. You might be thinking, well, Mark, that sounds great, but man, I live a busy life. You expect me to be praying literally throughout the day and still get the things that I have to get done. Actually, hear from God 
do you really think this is a realistic way to live life? Here's where I get another image to explain what this might look like. Have you ever been invited over for dinner to a household that has an infant? You walk into the house and you see the mom is running around entertaining. She's fully engaged in conversation, making sure everybody has their drink filled. She's making sure the dinner is not burning, the empty snack bowls are being refilled. She even makes her way around the room so that everybody feels comfortable. And while she's engaged in the conversation to someone, there comes this little murmur from the baby monitor. And while she's looking right at you, you can tell she's left the building. <laughs> while she's looking right at you, you could tell her that the kitchen's on fire. And she'd say, well, isn't that nice? Because she's not listening to you anymore. Because what's coming out of the monitor has her full attention. She is as busy as could be, but because the sound coming from the monitor represents what's most precious to her, it has her attention. Oh, you make faith in hearing from the Lord your greatest priority. You'll be amazed at how often you'll be hearing from him. Here's another thing you're going to face as you allow God to lead your life and ramp up your commitment to please him you're inevitably going to face discouragement. And it's because you're fully engaged in the game. You've raised your expectations. Listen, if you're on the playing field, mark my words, you are going to make mistakes. Nobody plays a perfect game. Take it from me, you're going to jump off sides, you're going to miss tackles, you're going to drop a pass. And any athlete will tell you that when the team and the coaches go over game films, the mistakes you make are going to be pointed out to you, which can be discouraging. But the more reps you get and the more you work with the coaches, the better you're going to get. You're going to improve. See, someone standing on the sidelines isn't making mistakes on the field of play. But here's the downside. They're not getting any better. They're not seeing any progress. And you can't make plays to help your team win standing on the sidelines. So here's what I want you to know when you inevitably face discouragement because of sin. It's inevitable. It's a part of life. The Apostle Paul famously documents his struggles with his own sin. Here's what I want you to know about our God. It's that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He's already sent his son to die, even for your future sins. You should never take sin lightly, but don't let your shortcomings derail you. That's what Satan wants. And I'll tell you what I have found is that if you keep striving in a pleasing relationship to God and drawing closer to Him and spending time in His presence, you will see less and less sin present in your life. Remember, it's not about perfection. It's about growing. So don't let discouragement trip you up. I think that's it. We've come to the end of this series. I hope you found this information helpful. 
In closing, I want to emphasize that if God says through his word that your purpose in life is to please him through relationship, then guess what? Your purpose in life is to please him through relationship. If Jesus says that to live your best life is by getting to know him, and the only way to get to know him happens by pleasing him, then get to know him by pleasing him. The Bible says that the only way for this relationship to God is going to work is if he leads and you follow, I'd suggest you let him lead and you do the following. If the Bible says that you have a choice to lead your life by choosing to please your flesh, or you have a choice to allow God to lead your life by choosing to please the Spirit, know that one choice brings death and the other choice brings life. If the Bible says nothing else matters other than faith expressing itself through love, then nothing else matters other than hearing the voice of God and obeying it. And lastly, if the Bible says that God so loved you that he gave up his most precious possession to save and love on you, then don't listen to what the father of lies has to say about him. Instead, I would do what Romans 12.1 says when Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I know I have made it my commitment for the time I have left on this earth with the help of God to daily apply these principles. I do not want to lose out on the glorious opportunity I have to please him. I pray you join me on this journey and take God at his word. And if we happen to run into each other, may we overflow with testimonies of his goodness. I believe we've done our best to try and lay out the truth found in scripture. We've done our best to clearly and concisely inform you on what it takes to live the God life God created you for. But now it's up to you because only you can apply it to your life's realities. Until next time, speak life. Thanks for tuning in to the Speak Life podcast. Speak Life is a nonprofit organization and we rely on donations and referrals. If you feel there is an organization or an individual who needs to hear this message, I trust that you will get it into the right hands. If you would like to find out more about us, donate, or leave a testimonial, head over to www.speaklife.world. And lastly, for a list of today's scriptures, you can go to Speak Life Facebook page at speaklife.world.